Welcome to the Souls Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soulischurch.com. We're going to read Psalm 1, uh, verse 1 through 6. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaves also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, and are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the, un, in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Awesome. Well, good morning, everyone. Let's again thank Francesca for doing that. I always want to honor those who braved the stage to do the scripture reading. And uh, if that's something that interests you, if you're like, you know, I love public reading. That's like my jam. We're looking for people like you. So let us know. We can get you connected. (laughs) Um, That's such the church thing to say, right? We'll get you connected. So... uh, I want to welcome everyone this morning. Uh, my name is Andrew, and I have the real joy to pastor our, our community here, and uh, really the biggest joy is being able to gather uh, every Sunday, uh, like we're doing right now, and like we have been for a little over three years since we started um, uh, Follow the Lord to, to plant this church, Soulless Church, and uh, uh, it's been a real blast. We're in an exciting time of the year with the summer season, and so Kyle just mentioned um, all the different summer groups that we have. want to just... Back that up and super duper encourage you to get involved with one of those, one of those eight different summer groups. You can even, you know, um, sign up for multiple if you have the time in your week. Um, Any chance that you can get to to plug in, that women's event coming up is awesome. We've got a men's kind of conference retreat event coming up also uh, in July that we'll be sharing about soon. So a lot of cool stuff happening. Uh, And with the summer season, we are doing a summer series that we've entitled Summer Playlist, Summer Playlist. Now, uh, family and I just got back from a road trip. Uh, We did a week away up in Asheville, North Carolina. Um, A lot of driving. We we did a stop on the way there in Savannah, tried to break it up with three kids, and then on the way back, you're just so desperate to go home. You're like, I'm shooting it. So you get up, get in the car, and I'm just going to go the speed limit all the way home, right? And so... um, one of the things that carried me uh, back it, behind that, that just beautifully scenic drive through Florida, you know, just so many sights to see there with those, you know, there is some variety. There's green trees, and then there's previously on fire trees. It's a nice, it's a nice view. Uh, but, you know, the different podcasts and playlists that I had, um, I, I was joking earlier, I feel like I've listened to every podcast that there is under the sun on this trip. I had so much time on my hands there behind the wheel. Um, But uh, the reason why we've entitled this series Summer Playlist is that is exactly, uh, essentially, what the book of Psalms is in your Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures, in the Torah. The Psalms, 150 chapters, make up the playlist of God's people. It's the songs of Israel. Uh, We said it's the jams 
of the Jews. That's what you have here in the book of Psalms. You have not just in, in Israel's history, you don't just have prophets who tell you what's true in a black and white way, but God also gives us the poets to describe the human experience in life wrestling with that truth. And so the, the book of Psalms is really just too long to do a summer series through, or uh, yeah, a whole summer series, series right through. And so what we're doing here in this series is we're looking at sort of the greatest hits of the book of Psalms, the mountain peaks of the mountain range. And it's, you know, difficult to do that. We're kind of, we're, I think the series is going to be a 10-part series, so like kind of the top 10, if you will, of the Psalms. And we've been inviting you to be a part of that. Um, maybe there's a Psalm that you feel like has to make the top, top 10 list. Any top 10 list of anything is, is usually subjective, right? Like usually the top three or five, for the most part, like the, the guys can agree on the top three or five best basketball players in the NBA. But then when you get into like the, the nitty gritty of the top 10 or 20, it gets a little harder. And so we want to invite you into this um, as, uh, as uh, we're, we're journeying through um, sort of the mountain peaks here. So if you have like a psalm that you're like this, you know, it would be a disservice. Like just like it would be a disservice not to put MJ on the top 10 goat list of basketball, if there's like a psalm to you that's like, if this is left out, I'm leaving this church, okay? <laughs> They're clearly not of the Lord, all right? So if you have like that psalm, please, uh, you can submit it. We have it on our Instagram. You can do it there. You can do it through all the different ways. So there's, there's always an on-ramp to do that. So um, last week, I gave an introductory overview of the book of Psalms. I want to say that if you're going to be with us for the weeks ahead, that is a must listen to really understand the context of what we're getting into. You can uh, listen to that on our podcast. It's on our website or on SoundCloud. It's kind of anywhere that our podcast can be found, iTunes. And we looked at just the big idea of what the book of Psalms is. It's this collection of so many different types of songs, poems, and hymns that come out of Israel's history, a thousand-year period, mostly penned by the great psalmist of Israel, King David, through all of his ups and downs of life. But there are many different contributors to this book. And not only that, but there are many different, how do we say, um, types of psalms. That's what we talked about last week. There's not like one kind of psalm. Um, the psalms deal with the full range of the human experience. That's why they're so amazing. Um, you know the expression like there's an app for that? Well, there's a psalm for that. Like, think about it that way. Whatever you're going through, there's a psalm for that, all right? Are you confused? There's a psalm for that. Are you struggling in sin and you feel guilty? There's a psalm for that. Um, are you feeling abandoned by God? There's a psalm for that. Are you heartbroken? There's a psalm for that. And just the list goes on and on. Do you, how about just, well, I'm, those are all negative emotions, you know? <laughs> There's even psalms for positive emotions. Are you feeling happy and you don't know what to do about it? There's a psalm for that. One of my favorites, uh, do you want to grow in your relationship with God, but you don't know what to pray or, or what to say? There's the psalms for that, but there's also a psalm for that. So that's what's just so special about the book of Psalms. Last week, I got into kind of what the psalms teach us and why we would study them. Last week, I pretty much advocated for every Christian always being in the Psalms at, at, all, at all times, uh, to have the Psalms on your, your portion plate of, of scriptural nourishment. Uh, and so, yeah, we're check, trekking through here in this summer playlist, looking at the greatest hits, and we're hitting shuffle on the playlist. That's the big idea, okay? There's no particular order. Even though we're in Psalm 1 today, 
I might have messed that whole thing up. But uh, we did Psalm 40 last week, okay? So I guess we are, we are hitting shuffle. But we're going to be jumping around. So Psalm 1 is where we are. And I, I, I guess it's worth saying this. Um, so I'm kind of praying through the order of the shuffle thing, you know, because we're hitting shuffle, but I'm actually picking which ones we're doing, you know? And so with this week, I was like, okay, I started, I was on the trip and, and, uh, I had a lot of time to, you know, up in the mountains too, really like heavenly, you know, had a lot of time to really think and pray about what are we going to get into for the first week. And I had a couple Psalms in the back of my head, maybe two or three of them. And one of them was Psalm 1. And I was kind of leaning towards that. And so not to get too weird and spiritual on you, but spiritual enough to say um, we were hi- the first day we got there, we hiked. This- My wife really set the tone for this trip. She's like, let's go for this hike to this waterfall with all the kids. So it was a three-mile round-trip hike after a six-hour road trip from Savannah. And uh, my wife was just amazing. She, um, yeah, she-, she did better than me. And she held Penny most of the way. I tried. Penny wouldn't let me. I promise, okay? Um, my wife rides a Peloton bike. I'll say that, too, okay? Um, we, we hiked down to this waterfall, and check us out. We got down to this waterfall, and there was an old man there who, who was at the waterfall. Was, you know, it was also intimidating. He's like, okay, or more like uh, embarrassing. He's like, hey, welcome. You know, he finally made it. And he was there with his wife, and he said to me, look at the tree. Have you noticed? He, he point, like, specifically said to me, hey, have you noticed? Look at the waterfall. At the bottom of this waterfall, this is all rocks, and there is this one tree planted by rivers of waters. Um, that is growing up right in the middle. Now, there's, there's a lot of brush around it, but this is one of the most uh, beautiful sights that we had. And what are the odds that this is the psalm that we're in today, talking about a tree planted by rivers of water? So I take that stuff personal between me and Jesus, okay? You can think I'm weird. I don't care, all right? I'm a little weird. All right, so uh, anyway, Psalm chapter 1. This is uh, where we are um, today. And if you'd like to take notes, the title of the message that we get right out of this chapter this morning, this first psalm, this is an introductory psalm to the whole book, but definitely in the top 10. You can't make your top 10 list and leave out Psalm 1. So we're starting here with Psalm 1, and the title of the message this morning is simply The Blessed Life. The Blessed Life. And so let's pray together, and we'll talk about The Blessed Life. Uh, Father in heaven, we thank you this morning for the Psalms. Thank you, Lord, for this tool, this gift, um, for us to engage with you, God, in a more honest way, in a more intimate way. And Lord, that's what we're after. Um, We have been saved by you to know you, to walk with you to experience your presence, to encounter the reality of you in our lives. And so, Lord, to, to, today, this morning, this is a part of that. We, we don't want to be here to hear us just to hear a message or just to do church and go to church. God, we are here because you have brought us here and you want to speak to us and you want to work in our lives. So, God, we just open up our hearts. We open up this space to the work you want to do. We invite you here. Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak, to minister and to take us deeper into the blessing that you have for our lives. God, uh, as always, I ask, um, I come to you humbly, and I ask that you would speak to us. I acknowledge that, God, I can't do what only you can do in this time. So take what I've prepared, use it for your glory. I pray you'd speak through me. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
All God's people said, amen. Haven't been in youth group for a while. That was the youth group thing, you know. All God's people said. So, the blessed life. Here's the question that we start with as we open a psalm like this. I want you to think about your life and ask yourself this question. Are you or am I living a blessed life? A blessed life. Now, it could be really easy to answer this kind of on a surface level basis because we're Americans. And, uh, you know, it's almost like a sin to say you're not blessed and be an American. So I want you to take that out for a second and just look at your life. And ask this question in a genuine way. Am I living a fully, completely, truly blessed life? Now, Despite the kind of American thing, if there's one other thing that we all have in common in regards to this question, in regards to a blessed life, I think it's this. We all want to. I don't think I've ever encountered a person that didn't want to live some kind of a blessed life. That's rare. That would be weird. Like, no, I'm not really into a blessed life. I'd rather a cursed life, you know. I'm more into, like, all the red lights. You know, I don't want a parking spot in any lot. You know, I just want my business to fail. I want to just be miserable, Of course not. Like, the one thing that all of humanity has in common, created in the image of God, created for a life worth living, is we all long for blessing. We all long for a life that's truly blessed by the God of heaven himself, a life that is filled with all that God intended. So what a great reason for the psalmist. What a great encouragement to know that the book of Psalms itself starts with both a descriptive and prescriptive formula for blessing. The Psalms start with what a blessed life looks like and how to have it. That's just awesome. Isn't that just so cool? I just think this is great. The first word of the book of Psalms, Psalm 1-1, blessed. The thing that we're all longing for, the thing that we're all looking for, the opening phrase of this verse is, blessed is the man. Now, Spurgeon uh, pointed out something really interesting about this opening line, something really helpful. Uh, it doesn't say, here's what Spurgeon says about this. He says, it is not blessed is the king, or blessed is the scholar, or blessed is the rich, but blessed is the man. This blessedness is as attainable by the poor, the forgotten, and the obscure as by those whose names figure in history and are, temp- are trumpeted by fame. What's so awesome about the Psalms is they begin with an invitation for anyone to be blessed. Blessed is the person. Blessed is whoever. You know, this is characteristic of Jesus as well, who started his famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, with the Beatitudes or the blessings. And in that sermon, Jesus also kind of uh, created this description of blessing that was counterintuitive and contradictory to the the theological framework of the day. Uh, In that day and age, just like today, there was a category of the blessed. These are the blessed. These are the blessed ones. These are the ones favored by God. And we can all still do that today, much like the Pharisees of that time. We can kind of categorize in our mind who's blessed and who isn't. And you, you read the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus, he, he formulates this like backwards blessing model. The people in that society that you would consider to be cursed, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted. 
We, I mean, we don't go, what a blessed man of God they're being persecuted. Those are the people that Jesus says, no, theirs is the kingdom of God. They are blessed. So from Psalms to Jesus, you have this, this biblical framework of blessing that goes outside of the understanding and the categories that we tend to create. And it opens up this invitation to all people to come near to God and experience the blessed life you were created for. Isn't that awesome to know? You know, this speaks to the nature of God. God, we see this from Scripture over and over again. We see this in our lives as well. God is good. Not just in a corny, cliche phrase when you say back all the time. You know, not like that. But in a genuine way, to know goodness without any impurity, without any dark side, without any flawed motive, is to know God. He is good. He is altogether good. He is the embodiment. He is the perfection of goodness. And from his goodness flows this good intent towards humanity. This heart of blessing. In the very beginning when God created man, the Bible says in Genesis 1 that God made Adam and Eve, and it says, and he blessed them. From the very beginning, we see God's heart towards humanity has always been blessing. The curse that we experience in this life, maybe right now you don't feel that blessed, you feel more cursed. It's the result of sin. That's what scripture teaches. God didn't curse this world. Sin has brought a curse. And what we have here in this passage is a call back to the garden. There's like garden imagery too, right? With the plants and the trees. God in this passage is calling us back to the blessed life that we were created for that is, again, available to anyone. Blessed is the man. Now, to, to get into and to step into this blessed life, let's look at some key things that this passage gives us. The first thing we see in this passage, and this is important to start with, is the blessed life defined. The blessed life defined. If we're going to talk about the blessed life, we should start by allowing Scripture to define what it is we're talking about. Especially if we're going to ask a question like, are you living a blessed life? I wonder what your mind goes to. What are the different markers that make up a blessed life in your mind? Now, here in this passage, again, where it says, blessed is the man, we need to talk about what Hebrew word is used here to describe blessing. The word blessed in Hebrew is the word esher, where you get the name asher. And this word blessed, it means happy, satisfied, content, and fulfilled. What we were created for. How God, what God wants for your life, to be blessed. It's to be happy, satisfied, content, and fulfilled. And I want you to notice that in this passage, blessing is not described in terms of circumstantial events. It's not described in terms of material possession. It's not described in terms of any sort of physical human wealth at all. It's not an external thing, but according to Psalm 1, true blessing is first internal. It's a state of being. Are you living a blessed life? Are you living a happy, satisfied, content, and fulfilled life? I want to say that this is true blessing. And the way that I can prove this to you is that you, you can, and you and I, we all know someone or or. or uh, some famous person even, that you could look at and say, by the external terms, they're blessed. But have you ever met someone who had it all, yet they, th their inward state of being was like they had nothing? They were Like, how can you have all of those things and be blessed and yet be so miserable? And the opposite is also true. If you've had the privilege to go to other parts of the world where possessions are limited, where poverty is more common, it's incredible to meet people, and it's like that verse that says, godliness with contentment is great gain. 
And it's like you don't have any physical blessings, but you are blessed. You're happy. You're satisfied. You're content. And you're fulfilled. Now, for a cross-reference study on this, I would encourage you to check out the book of Ecclesiastes, which goes into detail about a life trying to find blessing through earthly blessing, through earthly things. Um, and we did a whole study on this a few years ago called Visions of Vanity. And Solomon be, continues to describe, he kind of goes through all of his accolades. He, he's, it's a, a research project that he does in his life for satisfaction and fulfillment and blessing. And he, he, the only place he looks, he kind of removes God from the equation and he, he searches for everything and in anything under the sun. Relationships, possessions, uh, accomplishments, um, pleasure. I mean, everything you could dream of. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 lists it there. And then there's this really depressing verse where Solomon's like, and what I found after all of my, res uh, you know, the results of my search is all vanity. He uh, Hebrew word for vanity is hevel. It means a wisp of vapor or a cloud of smoke. When I try to find blessing in something external, it's like trying to grab a substantial handful of smoke. You're left empty-handed. The whole book of Ecclesiastes describes this from a guy who had it all, yet still found himself needing something more. Well, well the Psalms here begin with what we're all looking for in that blessing. And it's a blessing, again, that's not external and circumstantial, but it's internal. You could say it this way. It's soul level. True blessedness is a blessedness of heart and soul. It's spiritual. In verse 3, uh, we'll get there in a second at the description of it, or rather the depiction of it, but it's described as fruitfulness in life. That's true blessing. You're, 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 there, there's life from within you. Now, sometimes that does lead to external things. Sometimes God uses what he does in you to lead to blessing uh, on the outside, but it has to at least start here. Now, there's more than that. What's really cool about this Hebrew word, Esher, welcome to Hebrew school this morning. In Hebrew, this word is actually a plural word, which denotes either a multiplicity of blessings or an intensification of them. So the kind of blessing that's described here with blessed is the man is not just that, yeah, I'm happy, yeah, I'm satisfied, yeah, I'm content, but the kind of blessing that God wants for our lives is a blessing that is, uh, is, is intensifying all the day long. Uh, so a better translation of this would be like this. To be blessed, according to this verse, it's to be supremely happy, not just happy. It's to be ultimately satisfied, to be completely content, to be deeply fulfilled. Based on this definition, let's go back to our opening question. Are you living a blessed life? Evaluate your heart, evaluate your soul, evaluate your life this morning and ask, according to this framework, do I fit into this grid? Am I blessed? Is there within me a supreme happiness, an ultimate satisfaction, a complete contentment, a deep fulfillment that overflows in this joy of blessing? We start with the blessed life defined. That's what we start with. Now, we understand blessedness is not just in what you possess materially. It's first something you possess internally, spiritually. It's a state of being, true blessedness. Uh, additionally, let's look at this next part. It's the blessed life described. That's what we have next. We have the blessed life described. As we're all invited into this blessed life, here is the description of what a blessed life looks like. And I want you to notice uh, in verse 1 there, as we see the blessed life described... Uh, we see first the blessed life described, this is really important, the blessed life that God has on offer for us, it's first described 
by what it avoids. This is really important. It's first described by what it avoids. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. So there's a path we're avoiding for blessing. Blessed is the man who stands not in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. This is like a major part of parenting, right? Is you're like, hey, kid, true happiness is found on the other side of that stove. Don't touch it, right? Or true blessing is found, just yesterday, Penny was in the pool. Me and Roberta were out there with her, and she jumped off this uh, little, like the kid Adirondack deck chairs, and she's getting very courageous. I turned my back for one second. She's three years old. She's like learned to swim. She got on the little Adirondack chair, and that's not a word I want to say again, but um, she did the thing. We all do it once as a kid where you jump, and like, that thing's not heavy enough. And so it slid. She like clipped her legs on the way in. It was a glorious occasion. And she was so thrilled about it. Um, Brittany was too as I was out there watching her. But um, there wasn't a lot of blessedness in her soul when she came out of the water. Um, and the blessedness that, that is to be found by her would have been found in what she could have avoided. And this is so true with life as well. How many things can we recognize? We go, man, if I would have avoided that. If I would have avoided them. If I would have avoided that counsel, that path, that position, I'd probably be a little bit more blessed than I am now. And this is just true of blessing. Blessing begins with what you avoid. I think of Psalm 16.4. We'll probably look at this psalm. We'll see if it makes the list, okay? But Psalm 16.4 says, Their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. This is just true. Um, earthly pleasure, idolatry, and sin market itself as giving you what you've always been looking for. And it matches often at the moment the temptations that are craving but on the other side of it is always sorrow. It's emptiness. And so I love that the psalm begins with what we should avoid for the sake of blessing as opposed to sorrow. Now there are three things here that likely David, as he's penning the psalm, is saying we should avoid. There are three positions. Uh, it's counsel that we shouldn't walk in. It's a path of life that we shouldn't be in, stand in, and it's a seat of life that we shouldn't sit in. He starts by saying, blessed is the man, the blessed life is found by avoiding first the counsel of the ungodly. Blessed is the man who walks not or lives not or makes his decisions not according to the counsel of the ungodly. I want to submit something to you this morning, whether you recognize it or not, you have a counsel. You have a counsel. Um, you're not a church with a board or a nonprofit or, or a business, but you have a board of advisors. There might only be one person on the board. It might just be you, okay? Hopefully not. Hopefully there's more. But every decision we're making in life comes from the path we're on, the way that we're walking. It comes from some kind of counsel. Right now, your life is heeding someone's counsel, whether you realize it or not. Counsel has to do with the best way to live. The right way to live. How life is meant to be lived. There's some counsel that you're heeding. Now, for some of us, we are directly disregarding the right counsel of God's word. And right now, we need to recognize, I'm not following good counsel. That's ungodly counsel. Others of us, it's not as blatant. Maybe it's more subtle and unrecognized. Like, I've had that happen where I'm like, oh, wait a minute. This thing I'm believing, it contradicts what God's word says. 
Oh, and, and sometimes we, we don't even know. We haven't, you know, maybe we're not being diligent enough to actually go, is this good counsel? <laughs> like, oh, they care. That's good, but that's not enough. Is it true? Is it biblical? Is it of God? I don't care how many followers they have. I don't care, you know, how many. It's like, that's never, never the metric. The metric in Scripture is, does it line up with Scripture? And is it godly counsel? So that's the first way to avoid a life without blessing. A first way to experience a life of blessing is making sure we're avoiding any sort of counsel that's, that's not in the way of God's word. So blessed is the man who walks not. First, it's a place of thinking and counsel. Another big part of this, too, is my own counsel that I can give myself. A second way to thing to avoid if we want to bless life is we've got to avoid the path of sinners. This is interesting. This speaks to a way of sinful rebellion in life. Okay? Sin, put simply, is anything that doesn't line up with God's will for your life. Whatever God's will is for your life, Whatever the opposite of that is, anything that breaks the heart of God's will revealed through Christ, revealed through God's word, is sin. And we know there's sins both of omission and sins of commission. There's sins, that we, uh, there's sins that we do and we know they're wrong and we do them anyway. And then there's sins that we commit that are there's sins of omission where we know the right thing to do, but then we don't do it. It's interesting. Scripture talks about both of these things. James talks about he who knows to do the right thing and doesn't do it, it's sin. So, so every corner we have sin tempting us. We're humans. We're, we're, we're sinners apart from Jesus. Our identity is that. It's our tendency. It's our struggle. It's temptation to be moved away from the perfect, pleasing, acceptable will of God. Rather than being trans- transformed by the renewing of our mind to be conformed to another pattern of this world. Sin. Um, by the way, let me say there's, there's sins of unrighteousness and there's sins of self-righteousness. There's the, the sins of the flesh that we look on at and we go, oh my gosh, that's not acceptable in church, you know? And then there's sadly sins that are acceptable in church and they shouldn't be. Sins of self-righteousness and, and, and just pride and piety and thinking you're better than that person because you sin differently than them. Sin. Anything violating the will of God, the heart of God for your life... The author says, avoid the path, standing in the path, being in the way of sinners. Thirdly, it talks about not sitting in the seat of the scornful. So the blessed life avoids these three things. Not walking in the wrong counsel, not standing in the path of sin, and also not sitting in the seat of the scornful. And this word, uh, this idea of the scornful is those that preside an earthly judgment over others. And they kind of scorn others. They kind of look at them and, and, and they kind of call out all the things wrong with them. It's interesting how this kind of progression plays out. Um, where you, you follow the, the counsel of this world. You start living a life of compromise and then you become everyone else's judge. You know, why would you do that? Usually because you don't want people to actually call you out on your sin. And it's a lot easier to hide in your sin when you're behind the spotlight of condemnation and the lights on everyone else, right? It's this seat. Now, I don't know if you found this. I found this. Usually, the most judgmental people are unhappy. Have you noticed this? I don't like it. When I think of blessed, I'm not like, oh, that really judgmental, critical spirit person. Yep. So blessed. Usually, what that is, is their dissatisfaction with them being projected on everyone else around them. And this is a seat that we can find ourselves in, not walking. Listen, it's not a blessed life to be the, the ones presiding in judgment over everybody. 
fault-finding, sin-sniffing, you know. Well, you got your own plank sticking out of your face, you know what I'm saying? All right. You know, Jesus spoke a lot about this. You know, the scripture doesn't say don't use judgment, right? I love that one. You know, only God can judge me. Oh, no. Like, let judgment begin in the house of God is what scripture also says. So we should, you should use judgment. Like, you use judgment today when you decided what road to take, what clothes to put on. And you should use judgment in your relationships. But, but the this, this seed is not that. The seed is not lovingly calling one another out on, on our sin and calling us up in Christ. This is a seed that presides in this kind of condemning spirit. It's just always fault-finding. And so this is, a, but this is a miserable life. That's what, that's what the psalmist is saying. I love how simple it is. Like, I'm a simple guy. I need this stuff. Like, grocery store, give me three items. I'm good. You know, like, don't be too specific, Brittany, with the organic stuff either. Just, like, make it nice. And, and look, the psalmist is like, you want to bless life? Avoid the counsel of the ungodly. Avoid the path of sinners. Of, of breaking God, of violating God's will, living in, in opposition to God's will, and, and avoid the seat of the miserably scornful. It's a path to blessedness. So, so first, you have what the blessed life avoids, as the blessed life, remember, we're looking at the blessed life described. Uh, and next you have, notice this, where the blessed life delights. Write that down. So first, the blessed life, as it's, de- as it's described here, we see first what the blessed life avoids. And then in verse 2, we see um, where the blessed life delights. Instead of this path, there's an alternative path. Okay? Um, this was our family on the three-mile hike right when we got there. Judah's excited because it's the beginning of the hike, as am I. I did not take a selfie at the end, I'll tell you that, okay? <laughs> Along the way, you have... Um, Here's the girls doing awesome, trucking through uh, the wilderness together. And along the way, you have all these different path options, all these different ways. And there's like, for the most part, there's signs, but we're kind of on our apps. And there came, there came a couple fork in the roads, you know, where I was kind of tempted to lead my family astray, thinking I was doing the right thing. I think this is the way. It's like, oh, that's the hazardous route. Okay, we're going to go this way. Um, but you, you have that same kind of contrast happening here in the Psalms. So in, in, in this passage specifically, Psalm chapter 1, you have a contrast between the blessed way and, and sort of like the miserable way and the non-blessed way. And so David starts with, here's what the blessed life avoids, and then he contrasts it with another path, a path that is a path of delight. Oops, how do I fix that? There we go. Um, it's another path. He describes another course in life, and I think this is so important. I want to point out a few things about sort of this opposite course. Uh, this, the, the, the way of the blessed man delights in, notice this, in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. So you have like two paths ahead of you. One that's going to keep you from blessing, and then you have this alternative that's going to bring you into God's blessing. It's a path that doesn't delight in the way of the ungodly, but a path uh, that comes from a heart that wants to delight in what's true, that wants to delight in the way of God. Now what's interesting, kind of going back to, to verse 1, is the, the words used um, in Psalm 1 of kind of the, the unblessed path, walking, standing, and sitting. I was studying this, and I was thinking, oh, my goodness, that's the book of Ephesians. You know, when you read Ephesians, you have sort of the counter. Ephesians says that we're seated in heavenly places in Christ. That's 2.6. That we're called to walk worthy of the calling, Ephesians 4.1. And we're called to stand strong in the Lord, Ephesians 6.10. You see these two paths? 
I love the scriptures, how they connect everything together. Psalm 1, thousands of years earlier, is talking about a dangerous course that you can walk, stand, and sit in. And then you have the book of Ephesians describing a whole other way of life that Christ calls us to. We'll call this the way of blessing. And what David is saying here is the blessed man goes this way. He delights in the way of the Lord. He delights in the way of God's word. This is really beautiful. Um, the, the language here, delights in the law of the Lord, it speaks of his heart's desire and hunger. It, it speaks of someone that so longs for God's blessing on their life that they're going all after what God has for them. They want all of God. Now, there's a connection here, too, between he delights in something, and therefore, because he delights in God's way, he meditates on God's word day and night. There's a connection there. I want you to think about a meal that you probably currently delight in. Okay, so this is usually the case where if you're, if you're married to or dating, you know what this is like, where you're trying to pick a place to eat. You know that miserable experience, okay? <sighs> My wife is always like, well, you just choose. You're not, you're not honest with that, okay? You know, here's five places. That's why I usually go, here's your options. She goes, those are all your favorite options. Those aren't, I go, well, you told me to choose. Like, anyway. But usually, you know, we, we kind of narrow it down maybe to one or two. And whatever possesses the most delights in our heart is going to be the option that we move forward with. Well, that's the picture here. You have someone whose delight is in God's word. That's what they're hungry for. They're hungry for the way of God. And because they delight in God's word, there's a practice. They show up and they eat the meal. They meditate on God's word day and night. All day long, it's what they are. And I want you to think about it this way. When we see this word, delight leads to this, this sort of meditating. To meditate on God's word, uh, think of it in terms of a meal, it's to devour and to digest. That's the idea. I won't go any further than that, right? To devour and to digest. When you delight in God's word, like you delight in that restaurant, you show up and you devour the meal, you savor the meal, and you digest it. You, you, you process it. You allow the nutrients to flow into your body as it's being digested, depending on what it is you're eating. Okay? Now, same is true with God's word. This is a key practice of the Christian life. We talked about this in our Philippian series, to meditate on the things that are true, on holy, the things of God's word. The practice of not just knowing the Bible, but a daily discipline like eating, of feasting on Scripture, of nourishing ourselves in God's Word. We, we need to both devour God's Word, sit down at the table, have an appointment, just like you have an appointment to eat your lunch meeting, have an appointment with God. You come to the table with your meal there. You devour God's Word, but you don't just eat it, you digest it. You process it. You, you ask hard questions. You talk to someone about it. You work it out. You meditate on it. You think on it. This is the blessed person. It's going to ultimately leave the devouring and digesting is ultimately going to lead to a doing, to a practicing. That's, that's the whole goal. You know, we don't devour and digest God's word to show off how much we know. Because then we'll just be spiritually fat. We don't want that. We devour God's word to exercise ourselves towards the way of godliness. We devour what's true so that we could grow into the image of God's word. It's been said that the goal of the, the, the word of God is to get you more into the God of the word. It's the person. It's, it's to walk in his way. This isn't a textbook you know, of information for you to show off. This is, in scripture, it's described as a mirror. 
that leads to transformation. You behold who, who God is making and you devour God's word. And, and by his spirit, you're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is a really cool thing. This is, this is such a contrast. So we have the blessed life defined. We have the blessed life described. Then we have the blessed life depicted. It's depicted here in a really interesting picture. Here's what the next verse says. This person who is not going the way of the ungodly and sin, but is going the way of God's word, a life rooted in God's word. Notice this incredible depiction of the blessed life. What a goal for all of us. I pray that this could be said about you and me. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. This is blessing. This depiction of a life being planted in God's word and the result of that being fruitfulness. This is blessing from God's perspective. And another question that this leads me to ask is, am I that tree, you know? Are you a fruitful, flourishing, unwithering, planted tree? Are you rooted, are your roots so invisibly um, ingrained and planted in, in the person of God and in his word that his fruit begins to come out of your life? That's the goal, fruitfulness, spiritual fruitfulness. Uh, we know Jesus talks about this. Jesus says that my Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. This is God's goal for us. We tend to overcomplicate things. Fruitfulness, the fruits of my spirit, the things of my nature coming through your life. But the important thing about this principle, um, about how God is glorified, is how fruit is produced. That's what the psalmist is saying. Uh, fruit isn't something that you manufacture. You know, you, you, if you grew up in church, you heard the idea, like, you've never seen an apple tree forcing apples out. Like, ah! Right? Fruit! Okay? It's like, no, it's not a factory. It's organic. The fruit that's produced is connected to the roots that are planted. So, so Jesus taught this same principle. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, delights in, meditates on the word of Jesus, in the person of Jesus, and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Some of us have been trying so hard to produce something that we can't. We've got to go back to the root. How's your roots? What are you rooted in? Are you rooted in your relationship with Christ? Um, this is just a principle for all of the spiritual life. That Here's the thing about, about a fruitful tree. You can't see the roots. You can't see it. It's, it's invisible. This is true about the Christian life. What's done in secret is made visible in public. As you root yourself in Christ in private when no one's watching, it's amazing the fruits that come out of this. You know, I'm, I'm was so thankful for this because I was so passionate about being fruitful at 21. And the Lord's like, go be unseen. Go serve me when no one's watching. He still does that. But it's in those secret places between you and Jesus that you're just faithfully continuing to put your roots into him. That's where the fruit comes from. It's not something we work out. It's something that God produces. And by this, my Father is glorified. So, so what a great vision for the blessed life. You're that tree planted by rivers of water, planted in Christ. Now, this is important. That brings forth fruit in its season. 
Maybe right now you're like, I've just been planting a whole lot. I'm not seeing any fruit. Stay planted. There's a season coming. There's a season of fruitfulness. Do not grow weary while doing good. For in due season, you will reap a harvest if you don't lose heart. Stay planted in Christ. Stay rooted where you are. And what's so beautiful about this tree is, I love this, it's planted by rivers of water. That's what we get in Jesus. And so this incredible picture of that, and actually this is so cool. When I was in North Carolina, we went mining, and I found a tree. You can't really see it at all because, yeah, you can't see it. But um, there's, a, there's a river here, and there's a, tr- a tree planted, and you see the whole root system in the rivers. So my family's like, what are you doing? I'm like, hold on, I got a sermon illustration. I'm right there, you know. And I took a picture of this tree, and I just got to kind of think on this with the Lord, think about my own life. And what's amazing about this tree with the root system in the rivers is it has a constant flowing source of life. It's not dependent on external circumstances. How's the weather today? How's the rain today? This is true with the spiritual life. Listen, like, I know things in our country are crazy. I know it's sad how our society is decaying more and more by the day. But that's not the source of your fruit. That's not the source of, that that never was. Like the early church under Nero, they were like, oh, no, Nero, I can't be a Christian anymore. And that was Nero, okay? He wasn't like a, an elected official, you know? And so just thinking about your own life, thinking about your focus, are you rooted in the source of Jesus that always flows? He's always there to water you. He's always there to grow you. I was talking about this concept yesterday in the car, hanging out with my buddy Lee, Judah was in the back. He was listening to the conversation, and Judah gave me this incredible insight for my message. Okay, Judah's seven years old. He goes, yeah, Dad, you know, because we were talking about this idea. He's like, Dad, remember in North Carolina, there were these, these big, tall trees that looked great on the outside, but they had to be cut down because they were dead on the inside? This is my seven-year-old. He's like, that's like some Christians who like, look like they're fine on the outside, but they're not rooted in Christ. I'm like, do you want to preach tomorrow? Because I could use a Sunday off. Like, and he, this, I don't mean to be too controversial here, but he, he kind of like used it. To, his illustration was like, you know, people that walk around with masks on thinking they're so nice, but they yell at you and they're mean if you're not wearing yours. I'm like, you're right. <laughs> okay. And this idea of, like, I'm fine, I'm okay, like, I'm, I'm but it's like, what, here's the true question. Listen, what does God see? Who are you on the inside? What's your relationship with God? This is the most important question about your Christian life. Ready? What's your relationship with God like when no one's watching? Are you planted by the rivers of water? Or are we a dead tree that on the outside just looks alive? Thank you, Judah, for that. Out of the mouths of babes, right? Jesus calls us into that life. So we have the blessed life defined. It's a life that's supremely happy, ultimately satisfied. Uh, we see the blessed life described. It's described by what it avoids. And it's described by where it delights in the way of God, in the word of God. Uh, then you have the blessed life depicted as this tree planted by rivers of water that's rooted that doesn't wither in seasons of drought, that's prosperous and fruitful. And then lastly, you have the blessed life distinguished. And this is kind of happening all throughout the psalm. So, so the, the psalmist is describing the blessed life, and he's describing the opposite. 
the way of the righteous, that's blessed, and the way of the cursed, and the way of the wicked, and the unrighteous, that is, in the end, leading towards, um, uh, that, that's perishing. Um, and so you have the contrast. You have the blessed life is like a, a righteous tree, but then notice the, the contrast. The ungodly are not so. But they are like the chaff which the wind drives away. So he's contrasting a tree. That's the person that's rooted in Christ. Circumstantially, things might, might be miserable, but they have a source of life in Jesus. And he contrasts that with the chaff as, as the ungodly, someone who's not rooted in Christ, someone who's not rooted in the source of true blessing. And he says they're like the chaff that the wind drives away. Now, chaff, we don't really use that word uh, too often. I think we use the word chafe. It's not the same thing. But um, chaff is the light shell around a kernel of grain which must be stripped away before the kernel of grain can be ground into flour. So it's that like that crackly shell. Uh, we can kind of think of that in a lot of other terms of different uh, sort of nature's uh, um, vegetables and stuff. So it's this light shell around a kernel of grain. And the way that it's stripped away often is it's thrown up into the wind and the wind blows it away. It's that delicate. It just withers away. Which is interesting. This is the description of a life that's not rooted in Christ, a life that's not rooted in the way of God. Everything materially might be there, but it's temporary because one day it's just going to blow away. What an interesting picture. We see this. We see, the, at the end of the day, the one thing that the most wealthy people have in common throughout history is that they're, they're dead or they're going to die. There, there's just a certain end to man, especially if you're not walking with the Lord. It's this sort of perishing. It's this withering away. What a contrast. Now, notice what he goes on to say. As he is distinguishing the blessed life, he says uh, about the ungodly, therefore... Notice how he's going to distinguish between the ungodly and the righteous. The ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. Now, this is, this is beautiful writing because previously they were sitting in the seat of, the, of judgment. And now he's like, whoever you are sitting in your judgmental seat, you're going to come before a judgment seat one day. And if you're not in Christ, if you're not rooted in the way of God, you won't stand in the day of judgment. The idea there is the same as in Daniel about Nebuchadnezzar, that you'll be weighed and you'll be found wanting. You'll be found in the balances, and, and you won't have the substance needed to pass the test. But you'll be judged for your sin. Neither sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Um, this is true first eternally. The congregation of the eternal righteous are those who have been made righteous through Christ. Um, we're all sinners, but we're righteous through the eyes of Jesus. So we will be in the congregation of the righteous through our faith in him. This is an eternal truth. This is also a present truth. So the, the Bible says this, that the Lord knows those who are his. We don't. That's one of the hardest things, right? Because you're like, are they his? Am I his? Now, you, you can know. These things were written that you might know that you have eternal life. But at the end of the day, there's two churches in the world. There's the visible church as seen by man, and then there's the invisible church as seen by God. There's the visible church, those that come to church. And then there's the invisible church that God sees and knows are truly his. Even right now, God looks at a group like ours, and he divides up this room. There's the righteous, and there's the sinful. Not in terms of how good or bad you are, but in terms of whether or not you are in Christ. I want to talk about this, uh, because as we look at something like this, 
we should all tremble a little bit, right? Because you're like, the ungodly not, not, should not stand in the day of judgment. Like, I want to, when I'm judged one day, I'd like to stand. I'd like to make it through that. I'm ungodly. If you don't believe me, ask my wife. You believe me, okay? Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. It's like, have you ever feel like, you know, am I tricking someone from being, like, how do they, they don't know me, so I'm allowed to be here, you know? How do they live? I get to be the pastor even. Like, whoa, you know? Like, so this presents an issue. This presents a theological truth. Um, in Psalm 14, it says this, The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, if there's any who seek God. Here's what he finds. They've all turned aside, all of us. Even David, who, who writes about his own righteousness. We're going to read about him coming face to face with his sinfulness. They've all turned aside. They've all together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. So it's like, Andrew, what's the point of your sermon then? Because isn't the whole concept of Psalm 1 about a blessed life that we're all called into, but you just presented this major problem standing in the way of us in this blessed life, and it's the reality that we are in the congregation of the wicked and the sinful. That's what God says about everyone. There's no one who does good. They've all together become corrupt. That means there's not one human that if you were to measure their spiritual life and their personal life, there's no one that passes the test with flying colors. We've all failed. We've all sinned. We've all violated the will of God. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Now, this would be the end of the story if it were not for who God is. Aren't you thankful for who God is? Aren't you thankful that he is who he is and not just who we want him to be? The best news you could ever hear is that God is who he is. <laughs> he is I am who I am. Who is God? God is someone who's in the business of making sinful people righteous. He's in the business of taking sinners and making them righteous people. He's in the business of taking people who are cursed and putting them on a path of blessing. Now, how does God do this? In fact, it's a, there's a whole psalm that, that we'll study, Psalm 23. You ever heard of it? Okay. Where it says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. This is about God's own reputation. He's like, for the sake of what I'm known for, I do this thing. I lead people who are sinful, who are stuck in their sin and therefore forfeiting blessing. I transform them and I lead them in a path of righteousness. For my name's sake. I want to lead you from where you are into blessing. Now, how does he do this? He does this first and foremost positionally. Positionally means that he declares us and makes us righteous in our position. Now, how does he do that? How can God do that while still remaining just? Well, he provides a willing sacrifice. That's the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. Jesus, uh, the only person that could suitably take upon us our sin, and, and to be able to receive his righteousness, he's got to be without sin, and that's Jesus. And the gospel goes like this, that God sent Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5.21, who knew no sin. He knew no sin. Always on the path of blessing. And he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. It's for you. It's for me. He made Jesus who knew no sin, who was only righteous. He took our sin, and he made him sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's an exchange. See, on the cross, God treated Jesus as though he were you so that today he could see you as though he sees Jesus. 
so that he could treat you as though you were as righteous as Jesus. It's a gift that God gives through the gospel. This is salvation. It's how we're saved. We believe this. You stop trying to achieve this and you start receiving this. You go, I can't do this. I can't be righteous on my own. In fact, like if it's not going to end well. If, I, if my hope in God, you know, in standing in the day of judgment is I was a little bit better than my messed up friend or my really sinful relative, I have no hope. See, the hope of humanity is the same. It's Jesus and what he's done on the cross. Have you been transferred? Have you been transformed from a position of sinfulness to, listen, clothed in the robe of the righteousness of Jesus? We need more Christians that, that see this, that when they're asked, are you righteous? We're so quick to go, no. May we be quicker to say yes. I am righteous through the blood of Jesus. I am whole. I am forgiven. I am healed. I am declared as righteous in his sight. Because when you ask me that question, my mind doesn't go to my performance. Because if we're going to my performance, I'll answer that question differently. I'll say no. But thanks be to God for Jesus. Am I righteous through Jesus? Yes. This is what Jesus is committed to. This is what God does. He's in the business of making sinful people righteous, of making those that are, that are, are doomed apart from blessing and bringing them into a place of blessing. He also does this practically. He takes those that he has made righteous, and he wants to, in your life, lead you to live a righteous life. He has righteousness ahead of you. He wants to lead you in paths of righteousness, not because he wants you to be his slave to his rules, his, you know, a slave to the constricted and restricted way of God. Because God is a father. He loves you as his kid, and he wants nothing more. So I could say this about my kids. He wants nothing more than blessing for them. What do you want, Andrew, for your kids most? Just, I want them to be blessed. I want blessing upon them. That's why I pray those blessings upon him. That's why I, I ask God to bless him. The same is true for God in you. He wants blessing on your life. And so if he's leading you, as we describe this, this life that's rooted in him, that avoids the way of ungodliness, that, that goes in this way of blessedness, it's because he loves you. He's a God of tremendous love. He demonstrated that by sending his son to die on the cross for us. 